Sometimes to me it feels like our country is more divided than it's ever been before. I mean, it feels like we have political divides, real divides that affect real people in their real lives. We have racial divides that affect communities and a lot of times cause discrimination. We have socioeconomic divides between the rich and the poor. We have a lot of divisions in our world today. And so it, it seems rare to find a time when, when people actually come together around a common thing and people are one. But recently, I got a glimpse of that. I got a glimpse of it. It was on Wednesday, February 13th, at the flower shop near the airport. And in the flower shop in the airport, there were people from all ages, all nations, all races who were there together for one purpose in the midst of a thousand teddy bears, a hundred boxes of chocolates, tons and tons of roses, and we were all there on one mission, and that was to buy flowers for people that we loved. In the midst, you can kind of see the chaos here. I mean, the line was super long, but for a brief moment, it was like, all the divisions went away and we all came together and we had one purpose to get flowers for our loved one. Now, this was the discount flower shop. No offense, Emily. Uh, we, set, we set a budget for Valentine's Day this year. So I was at the discount flower shop and I didn't even get her roses. I got her some tulips. Um, but, you know, we were all there together and it was kind of inspiring because these days it feels like there are so many divisions in our world. And now look, I know that we have a lot of divisions, but I also know from reading the scriptures that God wants us, particularly the church, to be one. He wants us to be unified. Despite all of our, our visible difference and despite all of our invisible differences that divide us, he wants us to be one. And so these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to be one. One with Jesus Christ, one with each other, and one in our mission and in our ministry to all the world. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at that first thing. We're going to be looking at what it means to be one with Jesus Christ. And we think about what it means to be one with Jesus Christ. While we might feel like the world is more divided than ever, if you actually look at history, you'll see that there have been divisions throughout history for all time. And if you look back to Jesus' day, you'll see that there were a lot of divisions even back then. There were religious divisions. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. You had the pagans. You had all of these different religious groups during his time. You had all of these different political groups. You had some people who supported Herod and the Roman government and other people who wanted to destroy them with power and with violence and, and push them out from the land. You had divides between the sick and the healthy, the rich, the poor, the clean, and the unclean. And so Jesus and his people, his followers, they knew what it was like to live in a divided world. But in the midst of their divided world... Every year around February, one thing helped draw them together. And now th this one thing wasn't roses or flowers like it is in our culture. Instead, this one thing was grapevines. Grapevines helped draw them together because it was in the winter. It was during February every year that the people came together and they began pruning them. 
Because if you're familiar with viticulture, as they call it, the growing of, of grapes and vines, this is the season where you cut back the old growth so that the new growth can come. And so you had people with huge areas of land. They were pruning their farms. You had people who were servants who didn't own the land. They were out pruning grapes. You had people who maybe just had a plant in their own backyard. They were pruning them. It brought people together, but, but pruning and grapes and vines didn't just be, bring people together at this time of the year. It was actually something that kind of brought their entire culture together. It was something that kind of crept underneath their culture, and it was so common because there were only three fruit-bearing plants at the time that were common, the fig tree, the olive tree, and the grapevine. And so if you read in the Bible and you think back to that culture, there was a lot of people drinking wine. There were a lot of people eating grapes. Grapes were everywhere you went. When you, when you walked around, you saw vines different places. When they read the scriptures, you actually see Israel referred to as the vine or as a vineyard. And there in the center of Jerusalem in the temple, above the gates, was a huge ornate depiction of a golden vine. And on it were grape clusters as tall as a person. And so this image and the reality of grapes and vines permeated their culture. And so when Jesus was talking with his disciples one day about what it meant to be one. He used this common everyday object that they were familiar with to help illustrate the concept to them. And we find Jesus illustrating this in John chapter 15. And if you know anything about John's gospel, John 15 is getting towards the end of his gospel. And here Jesus is having a final conversation with his disciples in the upper room before he's soon crucified. And so he's giving them some final words. And as we've talked about before here, final words are of first importance. Usually people in those final moments give some significant knowledge and wisdom that they want to pass along. And so Jesus has already told them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to guide you and to comfort you. He's already washed their feet. And then in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. For no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Some translations, instead of remain, use the word abide. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here Jesus gives this image, this metaphor of the vine. And actually, we have a picture up here for you of kind of a grapevine. And I actually have a, a grape plant this morning. 
Um, thank you, my assistant Lucas. Um, I have a great plant because I know some of you, you know, maybe you're like me. You didn't grow up around a lot of plants. Uh, maybe, you know, you're a millennial and, you know, we just go shop for everything and get it sent to our house. Um, you know, I didn't grow up cultivating a lot of things. And so I didn't really have much experience with, with vines and a lot of plants until my last house in Buford. When I moved in there, there was a huge muscadine vine in the back of my house. It was a huge grove, about as, as big as this carpet square right here. And so over time, I began to learn a, a thing or two about how fruit grows on vines. And here, you can kind of begin to see what Jesus was talking about. And you can also see it on the screen. I mean, Jesus, when he's talking about what it means to be a vine and how to grow fruit and these things, he starts by saying, I am the vine. And now in this image and on here, you'll see the vine is the thickest part of the plant. It's the part that's actually rooted in the soil. And through its roots, it, it sucks up nutrients. It gets water. And really, it's the source of life for the plant. And the vine sends those nutrients out to all of the branches and to all the different parts of the plant. And so Jesus starts with that, the vine, because if you don't have a vine, you don't, you don't really have a plant, and you certainly can't get any fruit. And he says, I am the vine. I am the source of life. And he's already said this a number of times in the Gospel of John. He's already told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have come into this world so that you might have life and life abundantly. In John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, God sent Jesus. He sent me into this world so that you might have eternal life. So Jesus has already been telling them this. And here he gives them another image. He says, I am the source of life. If you want to have true life, the life you were created to live, you have to be connected to me, the vine. And then he goes on to talk about the branches. You can kind of see the branches that the, the grapes are hanging off there. And you can see the branches that are all kind of, kind of wild around here. And now the branches tend to be connected to the vine and then kind of break off from there. And you have some thicker ones and then you have some little smaller ones here that haven't been pruned for the season. And the branches, if you notice, those are what the fruit grows on. And if the branches aren't connected to the vine, to the source of life, then, then guess what? They die. They just kind of wither up over time. Certainly they don't bear any fruit. And so the branches have to remain connected to the vine. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. He's saying, look, you are the branches. He, he's telling his disciples, he's telling us, this is what I want my relationship with you to be like. I am the vine and you are the branches. When we remain in him, then, he says, we can bear fruit. We have life. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And I love what Jesus says here, and we kind of miss this sometimes. Jesus is saying, look, as the branches, you need me. You need me, your source of life. But guess what he's also saying? He's saying as the vine, I can't bear fruit without you. Because fruit doesn't grow on the vine. And so he's telling his disciples right before he dies on the cross and rises again and soon ascends into heaven, he's telling them, soon I will no longer be on this earth, but you will be my hands on this earth. 
You will be my feet on this earth. You will go out throughout the ends of the earth and bear fruit for my Father's glory. That's how all of this works together. I am the vine and you are the branches. And then, of course, he also mentions another important aspect of growing any fruit. He says, my Father is the gardener. He's the one who oversees all of this. And now look, as you can guess, my muscadine vine, I was a terrible gardener. I literally never checked up on it. Once a year, I would start smelling fruit, and then I would walk out there, I would taste a muscadine, and I would think, these are terrible, right? Anybody in here like muscadines? Okay, wow, we have a lot of country people in here, right? I mean, like, man, muscadines, you know... But hey, I had a friend, she loved them, and so I said, look, you can come and pick muscadines to your heart's content whenever you want. And so my muscadines, a lot of times, they would be kind of mediocre. They would, you know, some of them would be rotten here and there because it was just so overgrown. But thankfully, the gardener that Jesus talks about overseeing our relationship with him, it's not a gardener like me. It's our Heavenly Father who watches over this relationship with love. He oversees our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus mentions that one of the ways he does that is through pruning. And now pruning is cutting back the old growth and some of these smaller branches so that the plant can be more fruitful in the future. Because if there's too many branches, then the, the nutrients in the life kind of gets dispersed. And so the gardener cuts back the old growth so that the new growth can be more fruitful. And that's how God works in our lives. And he does this with precision and with care so that we can bear fruit. Because God is the gardener. He wants each of us to be connected to the vine. He wants each of us to have life. He wants each of us to have this relationship that Jesus is illustrating here. A relationship in which we are one with Christ. We're connected with Christ, and Christ working in us bears fruit for the Father's glory. And I love this image that, that Jesus gives here uh, of this relationship, because it's very, it's very deep. I mean, you know, we could have a whole sermon series on the vine and all the different aspects of it. I love this image, and as I've been thinking about this image of, of what it means to be one and how Jesus illustrates it with this plant this week, I've been thinking about how a lot of our relationships with Jesus... They're not really reflected in this plant and the way the vine and the branches relate to one another. A lot of our relationships with Jesus are actually reflected in, in some other plants and kind of how we, we treat them and how we relate to them. I mean, I don't know how many, of you, how many of you got some flowers for somebody in your life this week. Maybe your spouse or your mom or your loved one. Wow, that's sad. That's sad. Okay. This is a good illustration then. So... Some of us, we treat our relationship with Jesus kind of like we do roses or tulips or special flowers for someone we love every few months, maybe a couple times a year. And you know, they're very nice to bring into our lives a couple times a year, but they're special, so we don't want to have them around all the time. And when we have them, they, they bring beauty, they bring joy to our household, maybe they bring uh, a smile to our spouse's face, but then they're kind of like these, you know, these are a few days old now, these are the ones I got for Emily. They're starting to fade, and then eventually, you know, they just kind of go away. And for some of us, that's how our relationship is with Jesus, right? 
a couple times a year. We're excited about it. It's a great thing. It brings some joy to our family. But then, due to everything else going on in the world, it just kind of fades into the background. And we, we don't think about it much until something else comes along. And we think it's a good thing. It's just not a very big part of our lives. Others of us, we, we kind of relate to Jesus like a houseplant. Now, I love houseplants because they add, you know, a little beauty to the house, kind of make the air a little bit fresher. They're always just in the background there. Sometimes it's a good conversation piece. You know, people will say, is that a real plant or is that a fake plant? And they'll go up and they'll look at it. They just bring a little bit of beauty. And for some of us, that's how Jesus is in our lives. He's there. He's in the background. We like him. It's a good conversation piece to bring up every once in a while. But he doesn't play a major role. He kind of sits on the, the shelf. And maybe we, we water him or we, we kind of try to work on that relationship once or twice a week. But kind of out of sight, out of mind most of the time. But, but we, we like him. And then for others of us, Our relationship with Jesus is kind of like our relationship with this little plant here. Anybody know what this is? Rosemary. Wow, this section over here is good. Yeah, rosemary. So I don't know if you have any of these in your house. Um, they sell them all over the grocery store now, you know, so you can buy this plant of rosemary or mint or different things like it. Keep it in your kitchen so when you need some fresh rosemary, you don't have to buy, you know, a $6 packet of it. Instead, you can just pick it off here. It's very useful. It's very practical. For some of us, that's how Jesus is in our lives. He, he's in our life. We like having him around because we love what we can get from him. And, and you know what? When we're in a need and we're in a bind, we can always go to him and, you know, add a little, add a little flavor to our life. And, and you know, I, I could go on and on with, with the metaphors here, silk flowers or other things, but I think you get the point. Jesus wants to be more than beautiful more than something beautiful in our lives. He wants to be more than something functional or something useful. He wants to be more than a beautiful thing playing a background role in our lives. Jesus doesn't want to be one more thing in our lives. He wants to be one with us. Jesus doesn't want to be one more thing in our lives. He wants to be one with us. I mean, I think back to my muscadine patch that I had in my yard. You know, I didn't tend to it much, but I have a picture here. One of the things that I would do is I would go and I would sit under it every once in a while. We got that picture? No? Okay. Yep, here it is. Okay. So I had this old picture from Instagram, and um, this is how, how sad I am at taking time off. When I take time off and take a Sabbath, I like have to post about it online. So I put Sabbath afternoon in the hammock under my muscadine patch, 2013, and so I had a little hammock under there, and I would go under that arbor, and sometimes I would just sit, I would just read, and I would relax. And one of the things I noticed when I would just lay there and I would look up is that when you look at this vine and the branches and everything going on here, over time, it's hard to figure out where the branches are and where the vine is. It's hard to distinguish one branch 
from the other. It's like they all blend together in one thing. They're all working for one purpose, to bear fruit. And this image is how Jesus wants to be in our lives. Jesus wants a relationship with us so close that we are one that we can't really tell where where his life stops and where our life starts. We can't tell where his power ends and our power begins because it's his power working in us. It's his strength working in us. It's his life in us. We're all one working for the same purpose, to bear fruit and to bring glory to God. And this idea of being one, or what we might call union with Christ, as some theologians call it, this is spread throughout the entire New Testament. And if you look up the word Christian in the Bible, you'll find that it's not there many times. But instead, when people are describing their relationship with Jesus, when Paul especially is writing about the relationship that we are to have with Jesus, that Jesus wants with us, over and over again, he talks about Christ being in us and us being in Christ. He talks about us being one. And we see this in kind of his two-sentence autobiography in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, And gave himself for me. Notice what he's saying there. He's saying, Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. That's how he's describing the relationship. And then, like we talked about last week, he also elsewhere says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And so we have Christ living in us. We have us in Christ. We have this big idea of oneness. And throughout the New Testament, over 170 times, we read about being one with Jesus Christ in some form or fashion. And that's because God wants us to be one with Jesus Christ because when we're one with Christ, His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His love becomes our love. His motivations become our motivations. His peace becomes our peace. His power becomes our power. What He has, we receive. Who He is, over time, we become when we're connected to the vine, when we're abiding with Him. So the question is, how do we become one? How do we become one with Jesus Christ? And Paul gives us some clues there in this verse. He gives us some clues when he says this, when he says, I no longer live but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. Being one with Jesus starts with self-surrender. With saying, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I wasn't created to live life on my own. Because Jesus, you know what, when I, when I try to do things on my own, I, I try to manufacture joy, I try to manufacture peace, none of that really lasts in my life. Jesus, you know what, when I'm on my own, I, I just tend to keep on sinning and keep on hurting other people, even though I'm trying to help them. Jesus, on my own, I'm trying to do more good than bad, but the balances just don't seem to be 
equaling out. Jesus, I'm trying to live a significant life, but it seems to keep coming up short. The first step in becoming one with Jesus Christ is humbly emptying ourselves and admitting that we don't have what it takes. We need Jesus in us if we're going to experience that true life that we read about in Scripture, that abundant life here and now, and that eternal life in the future. And so the first step is self-surrender. And the second step to becoming one with Christ is by faith to invite Him in. By faith to invite Christ into our lives. Notice what Paul says. He says, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And faith is a deep theological word that, that simply means trust. And so the way we become one is we, we trust that Jesus is the Son of God. That He came into this world. He gave His life so that we could be one with Him. We trust that He wants to forgive us, that He does love us, and that He wants to give us this gift of life. To become one with Jesus requires self-surrender and by faith inviting Jesus Christ into our lives. And we read in scripture that when we invite Jesus in, that he begins to renew us as we just sang from the inside out. That our lives that, that feel dry, that feel kind of withered, maybe they feel like they're just kind of dying on the vine, all of a sudden new life is infused into us as we're connected to the true source of life. We begin to grow. We begin to bear fruit. We begin to become more and more like Jesus Christ as we're connected with him. And there was a Methodist missionary to India named E. Stanley Jones who wrote a great many number of books, but one of the books he wrote was on this idea of being one with Christ. And in this book, he reflects on Paul's life, and he says, you know, for Paul, the world didn't seem to be divided between B.C. and A.D., like a lot of us think the world is divided when we look at history. He says, no, for Paul, the dividing line wasn't B.C. and A.D. The dividing line instead was I.C. and O.C. Those who were in Christ, who had Christ in them, and those who were outside of Christ. Those who lived apart from Him. He said this is actually the true dividing line in our world and in history. Because for those who are in Christ and have Christ in them, those who are one with Christ, they experience life. Life abundant here and now and life eternal in the future. But those who are outside of Christ, they never have the chance to experience that life that God wants for them. Now, nor in the future. So I simply want to ask you this morning, are you one with Christ? Or is Christ simply one more thing in your life? Are you one with Christ? 
because after all, Jesus gave his one and only life so that he could be one with you and so that he could give you life. Let's pray and reflect on that together. Thank you.